For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift of grace and righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person disobeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So you know, these past four weeks, uh, including today, these weeks we've Advent, we've been answering the question that St. Anselm asked centuries ago, Cur Deus Homo, why the God-man? Why did Jesus have to be born? Why did he have to be born a human being? What is behind that? And we're going to look at this passage from Romans 5. We already looked at it some months ago as we've made our way through the book of Romans. But I'm going to just concentrate on one thing this morning. Not three points, just one. One thing that will answer many of your questions of why we baptize our babies. But more than that, why you can have hope. Why any of us can have hope. Why Christmas? Why do we need Christmas? And so we started the whole section of Romans asking the question, why is the world the way it is? And I've tried to tell you, you know, people like to blame God. They say, well, you know, why did God create a world like this? It's so terrible and there's so much evil and there's death and there's this and there's that. In the first three chapters of the Bible, you don't have to read the whole Bible. Just read the first three chapters. You can find out why the world is the way it is. It's because mankind, at some point, we, we believe that it happened between Adam and Eve and God. And that somehow they represented us. I'll explain that in a moment. And why we need to hang on to that belief that they represented us to have any future hope. But that, that they are the ones who did the evil that every human being to this day continues to do. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and going to the end of the chapter... Paul summarizes in brilliant, a brilliant argument that mankind suppresses the truth and replaces it with a lie. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I do. That's what I've done every day of my life since I've become conscious of myself and things around me. I disobey parents, disobey teachers, disobey even the internal intuition of my life I disobey. And I replace it with something else. And that is the great sin of humanity. Adam and Eve replaced God's promise with a lie that the tree from the fruit would somehow make them like God. God had promised them, think about this folks, He only promised them good. Everything was good. He only wanted them to know good. He only wanted them to experience good. But that wasn't enough, and it's often not enough for us. We want it all, and we want it now, and we want it according to our terms, and I will define what is sin. I will decide what's right and wrong. I will decide even if God exists. Imagine the hubris and the pride of a human being that can't even stop themselves from getting a cold saying, I'll decide whether God exists or not and what kind of God He is and what to believe and what not to believe and I'll decide, I'll be the one. Well, you know, that has not worked out very good for the human race. I mean, turn on the news. It's been a disaster. Why is the world the way it is? Because of us. God did not, invo- God did not invent covid Nineteen or a you know AR-15s or whatever you have, whatever it is, he didn't invent those things. We did. We invented them. Now human beings are capable of doing a lot of great things, and we'll talk about that in a sec- second as well. But why the God-Man? Because of this cosmic catastrophe that we read about in Genesis chapter one. That was the first week of Advent. The second week of Advent, Dawson talked about the ancient promise, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden before they were uh, sent out of the garden. He told them, I will send a redeemer. I will bring someone who will crush the serpent's head on your behalf, who will represent you and will save you. And the people of God, the the ancient Hebrew people and now Christian people, have been looking for that all our lives. And when Jesus came, the people that, that saw him recognized that he was different. That he was that seed, that one seed, that child that we were waiting for. But what was mind-blowing is he came as a human being in the form of a baby, like Elizabeth, helpless, with nothing to come. Even his parentage was not that, I mean, his father's parentage was questionable. His mother was an underage virgin and now was pregnant. Think of the shame involved with that. Incredible. Why couldn't he have been you know, born to some great king or something. Unquestionable, long, gene, you know, long genealogy. We have his genealogy and it's pretty impressive, but it came through 
This young girl and her husband, and you're asked to believe that. And I'll tell you why. Here, we're, here we go, very quickly. I have a sermon by R.C. Sproul on a cassette tape. I can't find it. I looked for it and looked for it. It's in some pile of junk somewhere. But it's not on. I don't think you can get it through Ligonier, but I have it. It was a couple of talks he gave to a group of students in a Christian school years ago. And he said this, listen, I had to remember from memory, but I don't think I'll ever forget because it was the first sermon I heard by Dr. Sproul. If all Jesus had to do as a human being was to die for sinners, if all he had to do was die for sinners, then why didn't he parachute down as a 33-year-old man and go straight to the cross? Why did he have to be born a baby? Why did he have to come in human form? Why? If all he was going to do is die, he could have just parachuted down, gone straight to the cross, died for our sins, be raised from the dead, all done. But then R.C. said, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why he had to be born a baby. Throughout his whole life, Jesus is exposed to temptation. That's why I, as Dr. Sproul, I emphasize that we are saved not only... Now, this is life-transforming information, folks. If you just listen, this is what chapter 5 of Romans is all about. It's about this right here. Listen. I emphasize that we are saved not only by the death of Christ, but also by the life of Christ. Because of His life. From child, from an infant, His child, His life as a human being was a life of perfect obedience. And in that perfect obedience, Jesus Christ fulfilled all the demands of the law, including the prohibition to eat from the knowledge of tree and good and evil. He already knew that. And including the command to eat from the tree of life and to be fruitful and to multiply. And to fill the earth. Look around. This is our king. And the only way it could be done is if he was born. Born to live a perfect life. Christ fulfills this as our sea. All the terms laid down in the original covenant of works. So that in the final analysis we see that we are saved by works. And this blew everybody's mind when he said that. Because as a Protestant you know we believe we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. And R.C. Sproul, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th and 21st century, got up and said to a whole church full of Protestants, You're saved by works. 
And while everybody's trying to catch their breath, R.C. said, but they're not your works. They're His. From first to last, from the first breath of Jesus Christ till the gasp on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? That whole life was a life of perfect obedience. Now you can understand the cross. Now you can understand what's going on. And the stunning reality of this is found in this chapter. Romans chapter 5. Jesus as us. His life of obedience and His death, unjust but complete, for you. And not only for you, as you. Paul makes an inc- a genius argument. Only a rabbi like this could make this kind of an argument of a doctrine that we call the federal headship of Christ. This is a theological term. Don't let it scare you away. Federal headship is simply this. In simplest terms, I can put it When Benjamin Carpenter and my niece, Kristen Carpenter, came up here with their baby, Benjamin and Kristen are acting as a federal head over their children. And if you talk to my dad or any of the people in my family, our family originated in the Middle East, but you don't have to originate in the Middle East. You could go anywhere in the world. People used to understand this. That the patriarch and the matriarch, the, the, the parents of, of the family, represented the family. The federal head. And so as the parent went, or as the grandparent, the federal head of the family, the tribe, the, the group, as that federal head went, so went his family. If he was a scoundrel and breaking the law and was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, when the authorities came in in ancient times, did they just arrest him and everybody else got off free? Did they? I don't know what movies you've been watching, but the movies I watch are gruesome. I'm in trouble now, right? No, come on, folks. I mean, you know this. They go into the village, they kill everybody. Every man, woman, and child, the innocent as well as the guilty, because the father and his wife, with the federal head, the father in particular, the federal head in the patriarchal world, was the federal head of his family. And before you recoil and say, that's not fair, we should only be uh, responsible for our own sins, you are. And Paul says that. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 12 very carefully. We'll go through it quickly. We've already looked at it in length some months ago. When Adam's sin sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death. And death spread to all because all the rest of us have sinned. You are not held guilty for Adam's sin. Adam and Eve were responsible for their own sin. But what they did do is bring death into the world and we have been sinning ever since and bringing death upon ourselves. When I die and I stand before God in the judgment seat of Christ and I'm there 
and there's a video playing. God help, I don't want anybody to see that. But if there's a video playing and it's showing my life and all my sins, they're going to be mine. Not my dad, not my brother, not my elders, not my wife. They're going to be mine. But they're also ours. Because as a human race, look, if, you wanted to, if, you, if you've never sinned or you don't want to sin, then start working your salvation out. Start earning it the way that Jesus did. But good luck with that. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Death entered the world. And we've been dealing with it ever since. We don't like it. We question it and we should question it. It should bother us. And it does. I don't know any human being that I've ever met that is of the right sound mind who doesn't think about what's going to happen when I die. Is it just over? Is it just done? I just gets dark and I don't remember or think or know anything. That's okay with me. Kind of. But if that's the case and your life, be honest, your life is meaningless right now, it has no meaning. If you're just going to die and go into the dirt, then you have no meaning. But, if what our Bible tells us is true, then everything you do has meaning. Why? Because everything He did has meaning, and He is our federal head. As Adam was our federal head in sin and death, Jesus is our federal head in life. Look at verse 14. Paul explains it. It's not hard, folks. Adam is a symbol. Not that he didn't exist, but just that he's a symbol. This is the brilliance of the, of the teacher, the rabbi, making the argument. Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. He is our federal head. Adam was our federal head for all the bad stuff. But look at 15 through 19. We can't read every like we did before. I'm just going to touch these quickly. Look at 15 through 19 and pick up the language that Paul is using. And he, he puts Adam, then he puts Christ. Then he puts Adam, and he puts Christ. I divided them just for simple simplicity's sake. Listen. Adam's disobedience brought sin, transgression, death, condemnation, and finally, and probably most horrifically, it caused death to rule. In other words, it took mankind and bound us in chains of slavery. Slavery. Slavery of what? Slavery to sin and death. Nobody in this room is going to get away alive. We're all going to die. Yes, you are going to die. Try as you might, you can eat nothing but vegetables. You're going to die. You can eat keto. You're going to die. You cannot eat sugar. You're going to die sooner. No dairy for you? You're still going to die. Pick whatever you want. We die. 
And everybody's bothered by it. Some degree, everybody's just not comfortable. We don't want like to talk about it. And I understand. I don't particularly like to talk about it either. This is what Adam's federal headship over you and I brought and why we put on our robes and why we celebrate this moment when we baptize an adult or whether we baptize an infant. We are celebrating the coming of life. The coming of life out of death, the death of one man, our federal head. Look at these, the other side of these verses. Jesus' obedience through the other man. Look what he says. Through the other man, God's wonderful, gracious, free gift, forgiveness being made right. We don't make ourselves right, folks. This is a passive, uh, uh, it's you being made right. Somebody else making you right. Our triumph, look at the words, the language. Triumph over sin and death. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship. It brings justification. We broke the relationship with God and He restores it through His Son. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know everybody's story as a human being in this room or maybe as a Christian. How did you try to make yourself right with God? How? By obeying the law? By obeying the Ten Commandments? How good have you done with that? What in the world are we thinking? And you say, well, God's just going to forgive everybody. I have a list of names of people that I guarantee you, you will not want God to forgive. Yes? My list probably differs from your list. My list has on it some people I don't want God to forgive because my heart, sometimes I can't forgive. <laughs> I'm confessing way too much this morning, Dawson. You warned me about this. You, yeah, he told me, cut it off. Cut it off. Don't, don't, tell him what you, don't tell him about yourself. Tell him you're a professional, holy person. Look, folks, we know. We know deep down inside. Nobody has to dig it out of you psychologically. We know. What grips your heart with fear? Justification. Being right with God. New life. One disobeyed. Here it is in simple language. One disobeyed. Many became sinners. One obeyed. Many became righteous. Just as sin ruled over all people bringing death. Now God's wonderful grace rules Rules, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ. Did He come to die for your sins? Yes. But He also came to live from the time of a baby till He gasped His last breath. To live the life we should have lived for us and as us in our place, our federal head. The one federal head ruined human, humanity. And the other federal head saves humanity. Why should we cling to that? Because I do not, I don't know about you, maybe you're okay going into the dock on the judgment day and standing there 
you know, with all the videos playing of your sin, every word, every thought, every deed playing before you. And maybe you're okay standing there by yourself and saying, well, give me about five minutes. I'm going to roll out all the good things I did. It won't even take you five minutes. It's going to take you less than five minutes. When I step into the dock, and I hope you're like me, Kurdeus homo, why the God-man? I want him there with me. For goodness sakes. I don't want to step in the dock of the judge and not have my advocate there, my federal head, to represent me. What am I going to do with my sin? Ali, Ali, oxen free, you're forgiven. That's not justice. That's injustice. And God is not unjust. He is a good God, filled with mercy. And all He tells people is, trust me. That's not a big deal. It's not hard. Trust me, for goodness sake. I'm, I sent my son. I love you. We're going to drink his blood and, dr- and eat his body in a minute, bread and wine. We're going to do that thing that reminds us of him for us and as us. Why the God man? One of my favorite uh, uh, historical people that I love is Robert Murray McShane. Many of you know he was a Scottish Presbyterian, and all the great ones are Scottish Presbyterians. Robert Murray McShane died in his 20s, but he was unbelievable. The amount of things he wrote and did, incredible. Listen to what McShane says about this, and then we'll be finished. Listen. I have often explained to you how the Lord Jesus Christ came to be not just a dying Savior, but a doing Savior not only to suffer all that we should have suffered, but to obey all that we should have obeyed. Not only to suffer the curse of the law, but to obey the commands of the law. The night before, he said to his disciples, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? The cup of wrath. Shall I not drink it? But perhaps he will shrink back. Perhaps he will say no. Perhaps he will step away. But no. For three hours, the darkness has been over him, and yet, even with that, and yet, even with the darkness crushing his soul, what John Calvin said was hell. He went into hell himself on the cross. He still, the last thing he said was, my God, my God. He did not disown his father, even though In some crazy, mysterious way, his father forsook him. The great command was laid upon him to die for sinners. Sinner? He's talking to us now. Do you take him? Do you take Christ for your 
surety or your seal or your promise or your salvation. What we did with my niece this morning, my little one, that is now part of God's covenant people, we put a seal on her. And her parents might mess up. I don't know. God forbid. I might. We could all mess up. He will not mess up. He sealed our children. He sealed us. And we are sealed to the day of our death. His promises are good. Will you take him as your surety? This is what McShane is asking the church. Will you? He's your guarantee. Not you. He is. See how fully he obeyed for you all the way to death, all the way to the cross. Ah. You can hear him say, ah, in his Scottish brogue, right? Ah. Then you are complete in him. All the merit of his holy obedience is imputed to you. All of it. So does this mean that, well, we don't have to be good? No. What this means is that our federal head took away every single impediment or obstacle to you fully loving Him, fully obeying Him, actually being able to love the law of God and do it with all your heart and when you mess up, because you will, to be able to run to Jesus like we tell our little ones when they come for communion. Whatever happens in your life, little one, run to Him. Don't even stop for one second and try to fix it. Run with all your might. And that goes for the adults. Run with all your might. He didn't die and live a perfect life so we wouldn't have to. He did that so that we could. And we have the privilege to stand under our federal head. Will you trust Him? I hope, I hope you will. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy that fills the earth. We pray that as we come before Your table today that You will with these uh, elements that you will feed us in our hearts by faith, that we might come to you with all our heartache and our, our doubts and our fears and all the other stuff. And here, right here, right now, find peace. The peace you promised at Christmas. Peace on earth. And goodwill. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.